We're in this series called uh, God More Than a Three-Letter Word. And, and, and guys, I'm going to say this probably every week I, I, and a couple of times throughout each message. It is my heart, especially it is my heart that we are not, um, that, that when we say that we know God, that it's not just cognitive, that it's, that it's experiential as well. Um, as we read the Word of God, and one of the things that I really want to point out uh, is that when we read the Word of God, it's, we, we read about individuals who experienced Him. And sometimes we can elevate or exalt, uh, I think, individuals that experience God. You know, like we read about Moses and Jacob and, and um, uh, Isaac and, and Joshua. and I mean, you name it, all those guys, all these men and women throughout the Bible. And we look at those individuals and we often compare ourselves to them. And we often say things like, you know, if you would just do this, we can do this. It is, we, read about, we read about what can happen when God does, you know, God works uh, through this. Or when, God, when individuals say, I'm going to allow God to work in and through me. But ultimately, ultimately, we can't forget that the, essentially what the Word of God is doing is it's God revealing Himself to us. It's God saying, it's God getting the glory. It's not about Joshua leading the people into the promised land and taking over this land, but it's about God working through Joshua, the, you know, God revealing Himself, God saying, I will, I will be, I am faithful, I will do exactly as I told you that I would do if you just trust me. And so, again, Again, I, I hope and pray that you're not a person that just looks at the Word of God or comes on a Sunday and you listen and you hear and you say, okay, I know God. No, it's about experiencing Him. It's about, it's about you hearing how God was faithful through the lives of these individuals and through the lives, you know, as we read the Word of God. But it's you put it, stepping out in faith and putting to the Word of God, you know, kind of to test in your life. And, so, and, and by doing that, you begin to ex- truly experience God and, and, and your relationship with Him becomes so much more intimate, so much more vibrant and loving and dynamic. Today, I want to take a look at someone. Um, I've actually preached this message numerous times. And, and I love this message, and it's so it's kind of ironic because as I was, uh, I thought, man, this is the one I want to go to when we talk about as we experience God. God invites us in to do His work. We touched on it last week a little bit, but as we get to know God, He He again invites us in to do His work. And if we respond like these, like we read, if we respond, we come to know Him in a very intimate way. And I was thinking about uh, this individual by the name of Gideon, and and I've preached this before, and I want I want to do it again, but it's so ironic because as I was going through this, I'm like, holy cow, I see where I'm getting, I'm going through this process right now. And so um, I hope you resonate with this just because you've heard of Gideon. If you've been in church for a while, you've heard the life, you've heard the story of Gideon time and time again. Don't check out on it because the word of God is so alive and so, uh, so real and so fresh that it will, that he will communicate to you today as well. So uh, if you want to turn with me to Joshua or to Judges chapter uh, six, verses we're going to look at verses 2 through 6. I want to paint the background a little bit about Gideon, if you're somewhat unfamiliar or sketchy with him. He's a classic example of someone that was really kind of a, just an average, ordinary guy that became a national hero. And uh, he, he was used, uh, God used him in a very profound way to do uh, something, uh, to, to literally save the nation of Israel. And so as we as uh, just kind of paint the background here a little bit, uh, as we pick up in chapter 6 of Judges, uh, verses 2, we see Israel at their very lowest point, or their verge of extinct, extinction. And, and what I mean by that is this. Uh, in the book of Judges, we see about seven, I believe six or seven, different spirals of, of the life of Israel. And what is taking place is uh, the Israelites, the people of Israel, 
would begin to, uh, essentially about six or seven times it would say, and they did, uh, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And every time they would do that, God would bring in another nation or somebody else to bring them back uh, to him. Uh, because the, he would he would bring a uh, as we're going to read today he'd bring a country in a nation in to literally uh, destroy them almost almost to the point of extinction but but not and they at that as as and, and this is where guys this is where it's so ironic for us we see the classic picture here it's like we never ever ever get it through our minds until we reach the bottom right. Until we reach the end of our ropes, we talked about this in a series one time, for some reason, and I wish it was different, and I, and I think it could be, but for so many of us, even as Christ followers, it's like we have to get to that breaking point before we say, okay, God, come save me. And that's the way it was with Israel. God kept saying, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. He would send prophets to them saying, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, better turn from your ways. We're not going to turn from our ways. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't. Next thing you know, they get crushed. Oh, God, please save us. Now, God, out of his faithfulness and love, save them. But it's like, I want to ask the question, why do we do that to ourselves? It's like, it, it's almost as if we just, it's like this, we want to destroy ourselves. But, there, you know, and that doesn't have to be that way. But we find ourselves, we find this, this illustration uh, being played out so perfectly here. They, uh, they, God sent this uh, nation by the name uh, of Midian to come in and to destroy them. They were 135,000 strong. They come in. They were very ruthless, very ruthless warriors. They come in and literally uh, raided and raped the countryside. And, and when I say that, I'm not saying we came, you know, as bad as it is, they came in and took over the nation of Israel. That's just not what they did, but they came in and they literally destroyed stuff. I mean, just literally destroyed stuff, ripped up their crops, did, killed all, I mean, just killed everything. Just, uh, you know, uh, they were just extreme. They were a very extreme, uh, ruthless, nation that was coming in and taking them over. Israel, Israel was so scared that it forced them to literally go off and live in caves and hide from these Midianites. So it wasn't just some uh, as if as if there could be a peaceful takeover, you know what I mean? It was it was a um, I mean they were very ruthless and so they were very scared. They feared they feared uh, everything. And as we read this, this is what we find with the nation of Israel right now. We find a nation that is literally, spiritually, emotionally, and um, economically bankrupt. You know, and I think of the United States. We've been through some stuff, you know, like economically and things like that. And you have the good old patriotic, you know, uh, a spirit that comes through and says, no, we're going to stick through it. We're going to, you know, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. And, and, and you see some positives, you know, in our economy and things like that. Not so here. Here, they were literally totally, spiritually, emotionally, and economically bankrupt. Their last hope was that they were driven to despair, they were helpless, and they were hopeless. And that's what we find. And in Judges chapter 6, verses 2 through 6, it says, "...in the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds." For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of the Midian. And here's the key. And the people of Israel cried out for help 
to the Lord. Okay? They cried out to help for the Lord. God in his essence of love, God in his essence of faithfulness is, 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 is going to deliver them. And he goes and he approaches the guy that we're going to talk about today, the guy by the name of Gideon. Guys, this is what I want you to understand here. This is, we're, we're, we fall in the same category right here in the sense of God is inviting, God's got something he's going to do in this particular situation, and he's going to use Gideon, someone who, who is, is, we're going to see, so unlikely to do the job, but God is saying, I want, I want to invite you in to do something with eternal significance. It's that same message that God is inviting you in today. When you have a relationship with God, it's not just cognitively knowing him. God's at work all around us in reconciling lost and dying souls to himself. And God is coming to each and every one of us saying, I want to use you. I want to invite you in. I want to give you this, uh, this, this awesome opportunity uh, to experience something like you've never experienced before. I want you to taste something. I want you to see something. And when we do, like we're going to see with Gideon, when we do um, uh, rise up to that challenge and we receive that, our relationship with God ceases to become one of just knowledge, but one of very, of very much intimacy. And so God, the first thing I want to share with you is this. God invites us in where he is working. And, 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 and a lot of times when God does this, what can happen, as we'll see here, uh, we often start with this excuse that says, well, God will never use me. And as I'm standing here talking, I'm sure there's some of you sitting out there this morning that's saying, you don't really know what I've been through. You don't know some of the decisions I've made. You don't really know my life. That's true. I don't. God does. And I'm telling you, from reading the Word of God, God still wants to use you. And as we're going to see, there's a process. And I want you to take a very close look at this process. As we look at this story, it's, that's what we're going to look at, is the process that God uses. And as the story begins, we find Gideon, uh, in, in verse, the backside of verse 11, we find him literally in the bottom of a wine press, beating out wheat. He's hiding from the Midianites. He's scared. He's afraid he's going to lose his life. He's afraid they're going to come and take his food, what food he does have, that they're going to take all of that and just, again, uh, do their ruthless thing. And so he's hiding out. That's where we find Gideon. And, and, and oftentimes that's, uh, you know, kind of like where, where, sometimes where we find ourselves and we say, you know what, God can never use me. I just don't have that courage or whatever. We, we often can resonate with Gideon's personality. As we read the story, we see that he was a very timid and insecure person. We see that he was afraid of his own shadow and he had very low self-esteem, that he felt inadequate, that he probably had an inferiority complex and he was plagued with self-doubt. As we read this story three times, he is sharing with us uh, this, this self-doubt that he has. Yet God says, Gideon, you're the man. What list would we come up with? God, I think you got the wrong person. Let me tell you why. And God says, you're the woman. No, I've got it right. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. You're the woman. You're the man that I want to use in this. I'm inviting you in on something incredible. I want to show you something that you've never seen before in your life. I want you to experience something that is so much more significant than the trite little things you experience in your own little daily thing you got going on. I want to show you something. And so as we look at this, we see a process that God uses. And the first thing that he does is this. God always sees us. And what I mean by that is, in verse 12, it says the the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Is it ironic? I'm Gideon, the, God, the angel goes, he finds Gideon in the bottom of a wine press, scared, hiding, and he says, 
The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. You're hiding here. You see, the issue is this. God sees our... When I say God always sees us, what I'm trying to say is this, and we spent some time talking about this in the, in the, in the me I want to be. God always sees our created identity, our God-created identity. I, a lot of times, we never see that. In fact, if you went through the me I want to be and you missed that point, you missed the whole point. It's God created within us this God-created identity. Some of us go our whole lives and we never discover that. Some of us will go our whole lives and we never understand our God-created identity. We continue to struggle with so many other things. We continue to get distracted with so many other things. And we never get to that point to where we allow God to strip all that junk away and show us who we truly are. Just like I was sharing with you last week, I was talking to a gentleman who said he had placed his faith and trust in this idol over here, and he said his whole identity came from this. I don't know what you may have at times, but there's, there's t- and we're going to look at this through this whole process, there's things that we get so wrapped up in where we say, this is me, this is me, this is me, when it's not you whatsoever. Some, we struggle with that stuff. And whether it be we put up this wall and we try to hide behind it because we're, just, we're, we're so scared to death behind it or whatever it is, a lot of times we, we live out this, this identity. It's not even us and we miss it. God always sees our true identity. He's the one that created us. And he sees this identity in there even when we don't. And when we engage with him, when we encounter him, when we truly experience him, he breathes this dignity into us. He brings this breeze, this value into us where we feel so complete. We finally feel like who we truly are. Some of you have had that experience before where you've allowed God to come in your life and strip away the layers once and for all and you finally are living out to be the person that God has created you to be and you feel so free. Imagine that. Jesus comes and says, I want to free you of all that bondage. I want to give you life and I want to give you life to the fullest. Wow, we've just experienced that. And it's so exciting. But for some of us, we don't see it. Because we're so scared and we're so closed off and we're afraid that if we just give the Spirit some room to work in our lives, He might do something that just might freak us out. But He always sees the potential, this, this view of us. God comes and He sees and He affirms Gideon. He says, you, Gideon, can change. Gideon, this business of hiding in the wine cellar is not you. I've got something so much greater, you warrior, you, you, you know, you uh, mighty man of valor. You know, I think the irony of this, is, you know, again, the, is that he says this, but he's in, he was hiding. You know, I often think of Jesus when we read throughout the, when you read the Gospels, uh, God incarnate within the Gospels and he's ministering and he goes to the outcasts and the outcasts are brought to him. People that have made some really crazy decisions within their life, really screwed up their lives. And yet Jesus looks at him and he sees value. He sees dignity like he always did and he always does. He looks at the woman at the well who, was, who had had multiple husbands and was living with a, with a guy that wasn't even her husband to begin with. And he, and he reaches into her and he, and, he, and he develops this relationship with her and he breathes dignity and value into her life. An adulterer, uh, a woman that was caught in adultery was brought to him and, and he looks to the others and he says, hey, the, first one, the, first one without, or the one without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. 
And he doesn't, really, he doesn't accept the garbage in our lives in a sense. He doesn't uh, condone it, but he's, you know, like, just like with her, he says, hey, go and sin no more. And he breathes dignity within people. He, you know, he, 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 he sees us who we truly are. And, you know, Zacchaeus, the disciples, me, you. I mean, God always sees us for who we are, that true identity. Now, listen to Gideon's reaction at first. Uh, sometimes it can, uh, ours often, often uh, resembles this. Gideon starts talking, you know, in verse uh, 13 there. He, he says, uh, did not the Lord at the backside, of, well, in the first part, he says, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then all, why, ha, why has all this happened to us? And, and, and listen to this. And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? And then later he says, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of the Midian. This is the vocabulary of someone that's defeated. This is the vocabulary of someone who is hiding in a press that's scared for his life. And he's saying, if, why, but, where, how can this happen? You know, and he goes down the list. But, but, uh, but as I look at this, this first part, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened? And where are all his wonderful deeds? I often think about, when I, when I read that, I thought about, you know what? There's that cognitively knowing, but we haven't really experienced part. Dichotomy, right? Hey, I heard about all these stories over here, how, how we experienced God, how, you know, all these deeds that God did, all these things where God showed up and, you know, our forefathers, you know, our, our, our fathers told us about these stories time and time again where God showed up. I heard about these. I haven't experienced them, but I heard about them. And then you got the other side where Gideon's going to experience him firsthand a little bit later on. But as he's in this process, he begins to, uh, you know, kind of uh, start providing excuses. And he says to him in verse 15, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan, uh, behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. And here come the excuses. God, let me tell you why you can't use me. God, I know that you're trying to invite me in on this really cool little process you got going on. But let me share with you. I get that you, maybe you're so busy you don't really know me. Let me just share with you me, okay? Let's just get to know each other here for a second. Number one, look where I'm from, my hometown. This is what Gideon says. Look at my home. I'm from a dusty place. I'm from Blissfield, Michigan. We got a lot of farm dust, you know, a lot of farm chemicals and stuff. That hurt, didn't it? <laughs> I mean, I'm just from Blissfield, Michigan, you know, southeast Michigan. A small town. Everybody knows each other. Everybody talks about each other, you know, and stuff like that. You know, I come from the wrong family. I, I, I wasn't born into this family that's going to go out and save a nation, God. You know, I, I, was, I was born into this, into this family who, who doesn't have the financial backing to really put me through this. You know, when we start doing this campaign thing, I don't know where we're going to get the resources to do that. And second of all, I'm really the youngest. I'm, I, I'm the youngest of, you know, here, here's the truth. Many of us miss God's plan for our lives because we truly don't see ourselves the way God sees us. Okay? We don't see ours. We come up with all these excuses. You know, again, we lay them all out before God. And, 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 you know, look at God's response in 14 and 16 there. He says, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? I like that. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, you must be confused here. Am I not sending you? Again, I'm sure I'm breathing a little bit of criti uh, criticism in here. Sarcasm. Did I not send you? 
But I will be with you. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God's answer to us, or to him, is just as he answers to us All the, in, this, in these situations is, when we have the insecurity, he breathes in assurance, saying, You know what? This isn't really you doing it. It's going to be me working through you. That's the, you know, that's the exciting part. I'm sending you, and when I send you, you can't fail. Let's be very clear, Gideon. I wonder how many of us in here are missing this message this morning where we're not truly understanding that when God invites us in on His work, that when God establishes this love, invites us into this love relationship with Him, and He says, I want, to, I want you to be a part of something so much greater. I, I wonder how many of us miss the fact that God truly sees who we are. And I don't mean he looks and sees the, uh, the junk and stuff like that. He doesn't condone that stuff. But he sees you. He sees the value. You, what, he sees who you truly are. That's the first phase of the process. The second one is this. God wants you to experience him. And what I mean by that is this. Gideon had a personal experience with God. That day, Gideon met God face to face. And because of that little encounter with God... Uh, at one point, at some point, Gideon built an altar, which a lot of times throughout the Old Testament, they would erect these altars every time they would experience God in a very profound way. And, and one, you know, throughout Scripture, uh, one, uh, there's various times where God would say, I want you to build an altar, I want you to build an altar, because when your kids come back, when the next generation, generation, generation after that, sees that, I want you to be able to say, that's where God showed up. That's where God did this incredible miracle. That's where God led us through this and, and, and able to have that discussion with the kids or with those generations. But he, he met with God. He, he experienced God in a very profound way. He built an altar uh, there, he rep, which represents where God meets man. And, and, and through this, as, as Gideon experienced, and this is where it hits home, guys, right here. This is where we're going real, this is where the rubber meets the road. When Gideon encountered God, God tested him in three different ways. And there's a lot of times when you encounter God, when you and I encounter God, God's going to test you in three different ways. And I think it's more, it's not so much God testing you to say, okay, are they going to pan out or not? I think it's for us. Let's get it straight. I think it's for us to understand, okay, am I in this or am I not? God tested Gideon three different ways. In verse 25, he tested him spiritually. And basically the question comes down to this. Who's going to be God in your life, Gideon? Because if I'm going to be God in your life, I'm, I want number one. I want to be in the driver's seat. Remember back in Exodus, there's no other gods before me. I'm number one. Who is going to be God in your life? No other gods. Total allegiance. No competition. I believe that has been Jesus' message from day one in the Gospels where he said, consider the cost. If you're going to follow me, it's all or nothing. It's none of this... Half in, half out stuff that we so often practice where Jesus was saying, it's all in. It's all in. Are you in or are you out? Consider the cost because it's going to cost you something. But it's this spiritual thing that says, you know, uh, is it going to be... Now, in Gideon's situation, he had to go back and take care of some business from his family. His family, he had kind of grown up where his, they, had a ba- they had an altar of Baal in the backyard, okay? So he had to go back to this idol, and God was going to test him spiritually whether or not he could pull this off. And Gideon was to go back and literally destroy that altar of Baal. And so he goes back, and it's going to test him spiritually. It's also going to test him emotionally in verse 26. 
27. It was his family's own tradition. It was his family's idol that he was going to go back and wreck. And maybe some of us are sitting here this morning, we have to confront those traditions. It says, you know what? This tradition, this thing, this way I was raised, this, whatever it may be, doesn't comply with where God's wanting to take me in total allegiance. And there was this confrontation with tradition there was, it, where there's got to be a break with a past. And, and that creates emotional ties. Okay, if you come from a strong family, that can create some major emotional ties because you're now stepping out and you're saying, okay, I'm following God regardless. Regardless. I'm making a decision, I'm counting the cost, and even if it's going to alienate me from some of my family members, then so be it, because God is asking me to follow Him implicitly, and that's the only thing I can do. And it's not that I want to alienate my family, but I don't have a choice, because I'm following God. Standing alone, if necessary. And then last, physically. After he destroys, in verses 28 and 30, after he destroys this altar of Baal in the backyard of his family's house, literally a, a lynch mob forms within this town looking for Gideon to find that they realized that it was him that destroyed it because in this, you know, and Gideon knew that this was not going to be a popular decision and it was going to be a risky move and it could cost him physically. Tested three different ways, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Guys, as I was sharing with you, as I was thinking about this, there's things going on in my life. One thing in my life where I look at this and I'm thinking, holy cow, this is exactly what's taking place with me. I'm being spiritually tested. And because I'm being spiritually tested, it seems like the emotion part of it ties right in with it because in the physical part too. All of that ties so closely together. And it just became so apparent to me where God is taking me and some of the things that I, that I, have, that I have wrestled with where God, you know, I keep, I keep praying to God and God's coming to me and saying, but I'm testing you. What are you going to do? Are you going, are you going to fall in complete, total allegiance with me? Or are you going to try to hold on to both ends? And God's saying, it can't be both and. It's, it's one or the other, Gail. You know this. And I'm literally going through this test, and I'm telling you what, my spirit at times is crushed. And it feels overwhelming, and it feels burdening. Like i got this big burden. And I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, wow, I'm in this. I'm right smack in the middle. How am I going to respond? Let me, let me finish and then I'm going I'm to close out with some personal things. But point number three is this. God uses the weak. God works through the weak. In verse 34, now Gideon is ready to be the leader. And God had promised his spirit's power. And now it's going to be re- reality, right? God cleared the beginning said, I'm the one that's sending you. Let's be very clear. It's not you. It's me. I'm going to send you. And now after Gideon comes through the test, after Gideon affirms spiritually, he's being affirmed emotionally and physically, Physically, after he passes that, he works through, he, he gets it, now he's ready to be a leader, and God literally gives him the power through him. In the Hebrew, it, it literally means the Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. You talk about power. It's the Spirit taking you and clothing himself with you. Now there's a big difference, I think, between me allowing the Spirit to work through me, right? At least that's how I see it. Where I am so surrendered that the Spirit is consuming me, clothing Himself with me. That, I think, takes tremendous surrender. And back to that testing part. 
But it also shows you how, you know, that, that we're weak, but God is going to use us. And when God does that, can I ask you guys a question? How are you going to fail? How are you going to fail? It's not going to turn out the way you thought it would. So now you're the determiner. You're the one that's going to determine whether it's right or wrong. You're going to determine what the metrics you're going to use to measure that. This is about God. And when God's using you, God's literally taking you and inviting you in on something incredible. God is, is literally clothing himself. The Spirit is clothing himself with you. God put on Gideon's body, Philippians 2.13. But listen to this. How many of you remember Paul Harvey? Remember him? He died not too long ago, right? Does anybody know when? I don't either. He, recently, right? What was his famous tagline? You've heard this story, but this is the rest of the story. Gideon found in a wine press, not courageous whatsoever, hiding because of his life. God says, you are a mighty warrior. You're a mighty warrior. God sees him for who he is. God sees what, how he created Gideon. And God's saying, Gideon, this is how I created you. It's time for you to be a part of something big. Gideon goes through the tests. Gideon passes. Gideon's now ready to be used. The Spirit of God clothes himself with Gideon. And they go in, and they're going to do something huge. We've got the Midianites, 135,000. You've heard this story. I'm not going to go into it. But uh, Gideon goes out, and he rallies Israel, and he says, Who's going to fight with me? 30,000, 32,000 people show up. 32,000 men shows up to fight an army of 135,000. Odds are kind of difficult there, right? If that's not bad enough, God says, you know what, Gideon, you got too many people. You got too many men. I want you to pair it back. Gideon does. He pairs it back, and they pair it back to 10,000. 10,000 now against 135,000. God comes to Gideon once again. He says, Gideon, you've got too many people. Now, I think God through this is saying, Gideon, got a little thing I want to show you here. I want to make sure. I want to make sure. And there's various times throughout the scripture that actually says this, but I want to make sure that when you defeat this army, you're going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you had nothing to do with it, that it was all me. And he says, I want you to go back and I want you to pare it down more. So he goes back and he ends up with an army of 300 to go against 135,000. And if that's not bad enough, he says, Here's your, here are your weapons. I'm going to give you a torch, a horn, and a clay pot. That's awesome. 300 men against an army of 135,000 with a torch, a horn, and a clay pot. This ought to be really interesting. Now, guys, let me just, I just want to say this. I get that we've got guys that are trusting in God, but I want to tell you something. If I was one of these 300 men, I think in the back of my mind, buried someplace, I would still have some love, some sense of apprehension. Like, this is going to be crazy. This is crazy. And you have that sense of fear. But nevertheless, these 300 guys go up against it. And what happens next? God shows up. 
God tells them as they go in that here's what I want you to do. There's a time where I want you to blow your horn and flash, you know, crash or, or break the pot so that the light shines and everything. And as they sat there and watched that, the Midianites literally turned on themselves or killing themselves, ran. They were just absolute chaos taking place. And they didn't really have to do anything besides just what God told them to do. was, you know, uh, the, you know blow the horn, the, smash the clay pots and let their light shine. That was it, essentially. And they defeated an army of 135,000. Now, let's, let's get real now. This is, this is the fun part right here. If you're going to, if, let me go at it this way. I believe that if I was one of those 300 men, or, those th- or one, of those three, 300, one of those 300 men, there's no way someone, anybody sitting in this room could convince me that their relationship with God didn't just blow through the ceiling. Can you imagine? Guys, you know how it is. I mean, you know, some of us have done stuff where we, you know, whether it be, I don't know, some things that's kind of risky, and you come out on the backside, and it's like this sense of a rush. You know what I'm saying? Anytime there's that risk of hurting yourself or, you know, or losing your life or something like that, there's that adrenaline rush, and you're like, that was cool. Let's do it again. We lived once. Let's do it again. Right? Can you imagine what these... There's no way you... I bet you these guys in Gideon were like, what's next, God? Let's do this again, man. That was a rush. That was a pure rush. I can't imagine the stories they told to one another as they sat. And they said, can you imagine? I'm breathing into this. I get it. But I'm looking more into this than what's there. But I, I can only imagine these guys sat around and said, did you see the looks on their faces? Did you see how they just crushed? They just turned on one another. They just killed each other. Can you, did you see what just took place? I mean, I can't imagine the stories that they told as they came back, giving God glory, saying God showed up. If it wasn't for God, we would have been annihilated. There was 300 of us, and we defeated this huge army. Guys, there's no way you're going to tell me that they just only cognitively knew about God. That Those 300 guys in Gideon truly experienced God. And I think by them truly experiencing God, stepping out in faith and, and following where God was leading them, I believe that their relationship with God went through the ceiling. I believe it became so much more intimate. I believe it became so much more real that they were ready to tackle anything for God. That's what happens when we experience God. If you're sitting in here this morning and you have this blasé, just blasé, complacent relationship with God, you're not experiencing Him. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard to hear. Now you're thinking I'm judging you. There's no way you're going to convince me that a relationship with God is meant to be stagnant where you're kind of just kind of doing, going through the motions. And I get, we go through this from time to time. But I believe today, as I always have, that the Spirit of God is in here and He's saying, you may be experiencing me to the fullest, but I want to take you deeper. I believe He's in here today and He's, he's calling on people. He's inviting people into a relationship for the very first time saying, you can have life. Not just eternal life, but you can experience life to the fullest. I'm going to give you something that's going to be absolutely exciting. I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are on that journey. That's not my call. But I do believe 
again, as I just said, that God's Spirit is in here this morning saying, I want to take you deeper. I want you to go deeper. I want you to go deeper. I want you to go deeper. I want you to experience me more. I've got things that I want to show you. I've got areas that I want to, that's going to knock your socks off. Are you going to come along? Are you going to come along? Or is he kind of hitting you kind of where he's hitting me right now, where he's saying, Gail, I'm trying to take you someplace, but you're, str- you're, you're struggling on me here. You've got, you've, got, you've got a thing here you need to knock out. Because I want to take you deeper. I want to take you deeper. I don't know where you are, but I pray that you would just allow the Spirit to have that freedom within your lives. And would you respond to it? His, his invitation, His call, His promptings, however He chooses, I, I pray that you would just respond in obedience, how, however that is. Maybe you need to pray, what, what, whatever. But I pray that during these, this last song, that we would just open up our hearts in, in, in this sense of true humbleness and surrender, surrenderness, contriteness, and just lay it out there before God. Would you do that as we close with the last song? Lord God, we thank you that you are a God that loves us. You're a God that doesn't give up on us. You're a God of, of love. You're a character of love. You, you never act out of character. And, and God, we just give you praise this morning. And God, I pray that uh, wherever we're at on this journey, wherever we're at, possibly in this process that we talked today, you would give us encouragement to just totally, um, you know, as that song saying, you know, that we would come to you and just satisfy ourselves in you. That we, that we would understand that we truly are hungry and that only you can satisfy that hunger and by us coming in that complete surrender and contriteness. And so, God, wherever we're at, where we are on this journey, I pray that you would just meet us, allow us to continue to experience you, and may that relationship that we have with you become so alive and so vibrant and dynamic. And I pray all this in Christ's name.